Hour number four, Darren Donick and Chase, ESPN 102.5 The Game. Live at Pete and Terry's Tavern at Bridgestone Arena. Predators and Washington Capitals coming up tonight. We'll have pregame coverage starting at 6 o'clock here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. DMAC is going to uh, get some maintenance before coming back for the pregame show. So Chase McCabe and Willie Donick taking it home for you uh, here on a Thursday edition of the show. And Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus joins us now. Mike, how's it going? Going great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we appreciate it. And I'm going to start uh, very simple because here in Nashville, we've uh, obviously been talking about the Tennessee Titans being at two and three. And we just spent our last segment discussing, you know, some of the, the wins that they left on the table ended up being losses. From uh, from your point of view, the national point of view, how do you look at this team here in Tennessee right now? I mean, I they're such an intriguing team because it seems like whenever they're you know supposed to win a game, things fall apart. Whenever they're not supposed to win a game, all of a sudden things start to click. Uh, and I think it really starts with the signal caller. It's an offensive, it's an offensive defensive roster that they don't have a ton of holes outside of the quarterback position in Marks Mariota, where he's just so up and down and you know inconsistent game to game. You're not sure which guy you're going to get. Uh, I just think that, to me, is the biggest sort of uh, thing with this Titans team is how to get him to be more consistent. How to, you know, what can you rely on him to do game in and game out that can win you games? That's that to me is their biggest question mark still. Well, and it's something that we've obviously discussed here on, on this show. And if you look at his stats, two and a half seconds. If he gets rid of the ball in under two and a half seconds, that's when Marcus Mariota is at his best. He's going to complete passes. He's scoring touchdowns. He looks like the legit franchise quarterback. But if he takes longer than that, that to me, he's going through his progressions, which takes him time. He doesn't have the offensive line to give him the protection. That's where he struggles. And with this offensive line, the way that it's built right now, he doesn't have a lot of time, and he's struggling. That's almost the conundrum of it in terms of he's athletic. You know, he can run, you know, four six or whatever. He looks like he should be in this Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes sort of mold of get him outside the pocket, let him make plays, except for that's not actually when he's at his best. He doesn't make a ton of, you know, good high-level throws outside the pocket. He has not necessarily been great at that over the course of his career. He's much more comfortable operating in a quick passing, timing, accuracy sort of based offense. Uh, and so I think more of, the more he can do of that, the more he can do things like RPOs to help him out, get quick passes for him, the better. Because, like you mentioned, the offensive line uh, has struggled in recent, you know, it's sort of fallen off in recent years, uh, and he's been under more pressure now than he probably has been at any point in his career. In your opinion, if they were to make a change to Ryan Tannehill, which I truly don't think they're going to anytime soon, does it really look any different? Honestly, no. Ryan Tannehill and Marcus Mariota are very similar quarterbacks in terms of Tannehill's pocket presence is just uh, is actually probably worse. He's going to take more sacks even than Mariota does. So I, I don't think that's the right guy. Uh, I, I mean, it's better than some alternatives could be at the backup position, but I, I think there's a reason why uh, no one else is going to treat him as anything other than a backup this offseason. Mike, we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out What's the deal on the offensive line? How much better can it get with Taylor Lewan back in there? Once he gets in the groove, so to speak, they've also had a lot of issues at right guard. But what are you seeing with the way you guys grade, in, in particular, on the offensive line? And I, I want to start with Roger Saffold because that's somebody they, they were counting on heavily. 
But anytime a guy changes teams, he's paid big money, you expect a lot, but sometimes it takes time, I guess, to mesh with your new group. Yeah, he has not been even close to the guy we saw last year in L.A. I think he's top five graded left guard for us that season. Now They do a lot in terms of play action, in terms of trying to protect that offensive line. Uh, but even still, in obvious passing situations, he was still so much better last year than we saw uh, him this year. So that is obviously concerning, but I think the track record of him, I, I think at some point, sort of the light switch will flip. You'll start to, you'll start to see better uh, play from him uh, as the season wears on. What about Nate Davis? I, I know it's early. He's only played a couple of games, but he's the guy It looks like they're going to give every opportunity to go grab that job at right guard. What do you see from him in terms of, of, of a ceiling? Can he get the job done there? That one is interesting to me because I, we were big fans of his coming out. Where they drafted him, we were even higher on him than where he ended up getting selected. Uh, but with the caveat of he needs to completely rework basically his assets. He's it was very. I love his hands, love his you know power, but his you know, his butt was almost touching the ground there at Charlotte in his pass sets, and he needed to be. They needed to be from the ground up completely reworked. And one off season is not nearly enough to basically rework a whole the guy's whole you know the way he pass protects. So uh, I think as the season wears on, he'll definitely improve. But I'm not sure he's necessarily. I didn't think he was going to be ready to play in the NFL at all year one. So I get why they're you know throwing him in there because they don't have a ton of better options. But uh, he definitely was not sort of NFL-ready, if you want to uh, talk about that. He just did not have that. He had to be completely reworked in terms of his technique. What effect do you think Taylor Lewan will have on the, the entire grade of the line over time? Because they, they, they clearly need to get better as a group for them to be effective. Oh, it's huge. I, I think anytime you don't have to protect one of your tackles when you know you can rely on him, that just does a lot for you as an offensive coordinator, does a lot for an offense. You can send help elsewhere along that line. He is, you know, easily their best offensive lineman. Uh, and, you know, anytime I feel like a guy does get dependent for PEDs, all of a sudden they have a career year when they come back. So we can look forward to that as well. So I, I do think that Taylor Lewan, that presence there will will go a long way even if it's not necessarily even if we're not going to see the effects of it you know necessarily aren't as obvious as maybe some other positions would be i think as you sort of said the titans are, are hard to predict they, they sometimes they play their best when it's not expected so they've got denver on 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 the surface from afar you always say it's hard to go to denver and win but they've obviously had a lot of troubles and at the same time they shocked a lot of people by getting a win over the chargers last week so how, how big are the issues in Denver right now? Uh, I think Denver just has a pretty rough roster top to bottom. I think they are not. They're in a similar boat to the Titans to where the quarterback position is. You have no clue what you're getting uh, any week from that. Uh, and they have uh, a similarly porous offensive line as well. So I do think there will be plays to make for Titans defense. I think it's definitely a game they should win and should win handily. But like, like you said, you don't know which Titans team you're getting week in and week out this year. But they're just on paper a much more talented roster there in Tennessee. Mike Renner with us from Pro Football Focus. And, you know, we, we know here the defense is the bright spot on this Titans team. I, I don't think they're the best defense by far. But, you know, they're still pretty good and able to uh, cover up some deficiencies by the offense. Pass rush, though, continues to be a, an area in which the Titans are trying to improve. There's a report that that Jeffrey Simmons, the first-round pick, could be activated next week, could start practicing. We could see him in a game here very soon. How much do you think he would change that Titans defensive front? 
I think it'd go a long way. I, I'm not sure I'm going to bank on a guy who's you know coming off a torn ACL yeah. seven or eight months later uh, and him hitting the ground running as a 20, you know, 21 or 22-year-old, a young guy like that. I'm not sure I'm going to bank on him producing right away, but I, I did think he was, you know, when healthy, the second-best defensive tackle in this draft class. Uh, and thought he was NFL ready physically as well. So uh, I do do like him as a prospect a lot, but I just think any guy coming from an ACL entry, I don't care. Uh, you know, if you're Aaron Donald, you're probably not going to be the same guy just right off the game. Mike, if you're looking into the future and, and next year's draft for the Titans, let's say that things continue to be status quo for, for this team. They finish 8-8, eight 9-7, eight, somewhere in the middle like they have the last three years. At that point, your quarterback is is still not under contract, or at least at this point. Do you think they are looking at this draft class as maybe the next signal caller? I think you'd be crazy not to. Uh, with just the play you've seen from Mariota of his career, there's not much progression uh, that we've seen. There's no upward trajectory in terms of, oh, you know, he's improved at, at – you can point – there's not something you can necessarily point to and say, oh, he's improved at this from years two to year five now so I, I do think that you'd have to address it especially considering the draft class that looks like there could be four or five guys generally as first round picks and with how valuable that position is how good your roster is you can't keep kicking the can with, with a guy like Marcus Mariota and hoping that someday he gets better just because you drafted him number two overall you just it's too valuable a position to pin your hopes to a guy like that so I do think next year if they if, like you said it's go eight and eight it's definitely uh, they're in the market for a QB. Mike, if they did want to start over, just try something new, and maybe the plan would include drafting somebody, how would you, along those lines, evaluate Teddy Bridgewater in comparison to Mariota, Tannehill, and the level that they already have right now? Would he be an upgrade, or would they be better off just trying to find and try to put a lot of resources into finding an impact guy out of the draft that could help him right away? I think it's too soon to tell if he'd necessarily be an upgrade. I think, you know, execute more, uh, you know, drop back passing concepts probably uh, at a higher level than Mariota. It doesn't add any sort of really much of, much of a running threat to your offense that Mariota does and, you know, the option looks that they have uh, there with the Titans. So I'm not sure he's a huge upgrade, but again, he's another guy who really didn't really was, you know, he was more of an on an upward trajectory before he ended up hurting his knee. Uh, missing a few years, and now is sort of on an upward trajectory again. There are things that you've seen him get better at, so I think from that perspective, uh, I could, I could foresee him being, I could foresee him by the end of the year or by you know, start of next year being an upgrade. Mike Renner, Pro Football Focus. Hey, we appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again soon. For sure. Thanks so much for having me, fellas. Have a good one. Yeah, absolutely, and a lot of good stuff there, Willie. That that we'll hit on when we come back. The offensive line, I mean, that continues to be the focus of a conversation and just how much Taylor Lewan as he gets back acclimated uh, into things, you know, how, how big of a difference is, he's, is he going to make starting this weekend in Denver? We will discuss that next. It's Darren Donick and Chase, ESPN, one or two five the game. Darren Donick and Chase rolling right along from ESPN, one or two five the game. Pete and Terry's Tavern at Bridgestone Arena. We'll set up preds and caps for you here in just a little bit. But Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus just joined us, Willie. And uh, you asked him a lot about the offensive line, which I think continues to be the starting point for a lot of the struggles on offense. And when you hear Taylor Lewan and Delaney Walker and other players saying that you know we have to be more consistent on offense, I believe it starts up front. And they paid a lot of money to Roger Saffold at left guard. 
that hasn't worked out so far. Nate Davis, the rookie, the third-round pick, he missed a uh, training camp, and so they're trying to work him in at the right guard position. You've had Jamil Douglas that has played right guard some. Taylor Lewan finally back from a suspension, played last week. Wasn't a great debut for him against Buffalo. So the offensive line continues to have their struggles. My question that you brought up to, to Mike Renner, and then I'll throw it back to you, is can Taylor Lewan at least make it a little bit better as he gets acclimated, and that's going to take some pressure off of Saffold? Mike Renner certainly thinks so. I think that's something we got from that interview. And for people that don't follow what the approach of pro football focus is, they actually grade tape, yeah. right? They watch every individual. They give that individual a grade. And sometimes we're privy to it. That, you know, it's a paid site. So to really get down into the in-depth, you, you know, you can really get a lot of stuff. But a lot of people subscribe and then share little bits and pieces. And that's why it was great to have directly align into Mike and what, what they're seeing there. And that's why I think I tried to focus on some of these guys. To me, sometimes it's it's very hard to know, it's just asking football people, because I certainly don't. Yeah. If I see a guy get beat for a sack, I have to ask the question, was he supposed to have help on that play? Did he just miss his assignment? Or is there more to the story than, than right. what it appears to me? But that's why I thought it was interesting to ask him about Saffold because his grades were off the chart last year, and they have been poor this year. That's that brings us to Lawan, right? And what what because impact who is he next will Lawan in LA? Who is he next to? Uh, a tremendous, Whitworth. yeah, a tremendous yeah. offensive tackle, right? So, so that that the I guys that, around you make a difference. Yeah, that definitely makes makes it better. But he's got to be better. There have been times where it, it looks just from, my, from where I sit. It doesn't look like he's supposed to have help. He just gets flat out beat. It was going. It was ha- happening in the preseason, where you're not as worried about it, but it is something you notice. So, is he just not feeling comfortable? What's What's the story? And with Lawan back, will it get better? He Mike Mike also thought that with Lawan back, it will make an impact across the line. Yeah, and I, that's and that hopefully will be the case because. I think every offensive line, unless you just have the best in the league, they, they all have that anchor. Taylor Lewan is the anchor of the offensive line, and I agree with that, that if Taylor Lewan is playing at, at top level, then it's going to trickle down. I think Jack Conklin has been okay. I don't think he's been – he's still not back to the old Jack Conklin, but maybe with Lewan on the other side, that's going to help him too. So And who's he been playing playing next to? Right, yeah, He's had the weakest Jamil link Douglas or in the, the revolving door over right. there and that's why we didn't focus on the interview as much on Conklin as we did on Davis because it sounds like Davis according to what pro football focus is seeing is more of a project that's going to take some time so that will be the question is can he play well enough to where they see enough that he will get better yeah he's got the best talent maybe the best chance for success but there's only one way to get experience and that's to let him go through making the mistakes, or do they have to pull back and say he's not ready and we're better off with Dennis Kelly or Kevin Pamphill well, in there? Pamphill is going to be – that's going to be a big question. If he finally gets healthy with whatever is going on with him, and Mike Vrabel talked about that in his press conferences earlier this week, that you know they're trying to get Kevin Pamphill back. I mean, do they at that point, once he's healthy, say, all right, let's put him back in at right guard. We know what he can do. And that gives us more time to work with Nate Davis because this team is not in a position to just have a rookie 
you know, be able to work through it and make mistakes and learn from it. They just they have to win. And the problem with Marcus Mariota, as we have said time and time again, is you know, when he gets rid of the football and finds that first read, he's fine. But when he needs time to go through his progression, he's got to have an offensive line that's going to be able to give him that time, and they have not been able to do that. So I don't have the time nor the patience to wait on Nate Davis to figure it out because the quarterback needs their help. And you're trying to win this year. Yeah. Right? You're not in a rebuilding situation. You're trying to get out of 9-7. and seven. You're trying right. to get to 10-6 to and six or 11-5. and five, which... So who gives you the best chance to do that right now? Uh he did not seem to think that the Broncos, despite the win over the Chargers, are a roster to be reckoned with. Doesn't mean anything in terms of, you know, everybody can beat everybody. We have seen that throughout the league. But it made it sound like there was an opportunity there to take advantage. Yeah, I, I definitely think there is, but they have to do it. Did you, did you not also get the, get the sense from Mike that – the limitation, this was another big part of the interview. He sees a lot of limitations with Mariota and, for that matter, Tannehill. Yeah. But he likes, overall, the Titans roster. Is that fair to say? Yeah. It kind of. I got a good impression. Hey, I like their roster. He likes the roster. Boy, it's too bad they don't have a, a better quarterback. It's kind of the, the message I got. That's that's what's interesting. If you know if they do decide to move on and they, they bring somebody else in here, whether it's a, a veteran that's out there, they draft somebody, I mean, the pipe dream that Tom Brady is like, I'm done, I'm going to play one more year, but it's going to be somewhere else, you know, whoever it may be. But if you put a, a quarterback that is a level above Mariota on this team, what does it look like? And because if everybody likes the roster, that's fine. But if it's, if it's so good, I feel like it could still carry Mariota to an extent. Uh, well, it's got to because that's, that is the way they're going this year. It's not yeah. going to change. They're not right. going to trade for Ken Stabler or somebody. Right now, there's just nobody well, that is going to be an upgrade. the right choice either, but right now. I mean, back in the day, the snake, <laughs> he was the man, though. But uh, you, you see what I'm saying. Like, yeah. They've got to make do with what they've got. Then at, at the end of the season, they have to assess that. And as we laid out a lot yesterday, and I, I got the same impression today, you know, the other guys are going to be out there which will include Andy Dalton, probably. It'll Teddy Bridgewater, Case Keenum. I mean, it's the same old, same old. Like, you, you would change for the sake of change, but would you really be moving forward? And I, then, of course, we have drafting somebody, which is yeah. fraught with all kinds of pitfalls as well. I mean, your percentages of moving up in the short term. Because remember, you feel like you got a roster that you can win with. Yep. So can you hit it You're not with a rookie? I, don't, I mean, some teams have. You could, it right? depends on who it is, but you're not going to get Jake Fromm with you know you're not going to get Jake Fromm with with where you're going to be picking, and you're going to have to give up way too much to trade up to get somebody like that. You're not going to get too. It would take a lot of assets. I, to I don't do know it. if Joe Burrow is really going to be the answer either. So, and we've got a long way to go before you really know if if those guys have the tools to be able yeah. to step right into the NFL and win right off the bat. If it's you hard. if you start going down the the path of Let's say five weeks from now, it's pretty apparent this is going to be it. They're going to be moving on from Marcus Mariota, and we do have to start thinking about what it's going to look like next year. Yeah, it's possible. At that, at that point, I, if I'm John Robinson, I go to Ryan Tannehill and I say, hey, we'd like to sign you for another year. To be the placeholder, you're saying. And, and just at that point, make the change, be like, this is going to be our guy, and then you draft and you let him sit for a year. Under that scenario, though, 
I would think, though, that Tannehill would have to have a chance to play this year that gave you some hope. Well, that, and that's what I'm saying. You know, at some point during the year. Because, as we've said, Mariota has not been that bad. No. You know, he hasn't thrown an he interception. Thrown he's been healthy. He's done okay. You know, he just... It just hasn't been a big step forward. But yet. he hasn't put the team on his shoulders to get wins. No, and he shouldn't. You hope that the team's good enough that he doesn't have to do that very often. Right. Um, but you, you want to see that flash. But that's what you're looking for out of a franchise quarterback. I uh, mean, well, I think we've concluded he is not that and probably won't ever be that. Nope. But what is, what is the best you can hope for? Not just this year, but what – where does he fall into the whole mix of who are our options for next year? So we, we're, we're, we're only in week six. Right? We, we still don't have to make the decision. That's what's fun about these things well, because every, every week it changes. I said five weeks. That, that's that's kind of how I laid it out. So that would be at Denver this weekend, the, the Chargers in town next week, the Bucks in town the following week, at Carolina in week nine, week ten Kansas City, and then you go into the bye. What does it look like after those games? That's going to be... Uh, it'll be time to assess. It, it's hard to answer that question. Yeah, right now. But, and, and it will be time to assess at that point. Yeah. I think that's a great time to kind of take a breath and say, all right, what does it look like? And there's a lot of ways it can go, right? Sure. Is, is there any team on that list that they could not beat? There's just no way they can beat? Uh, the only one I would really put in that category is Kansas City. You I think there's no I, way they could beat them? I'm not going to say here. there's... I know, I, and they've done it before. I mean, they, they've beaten Kansas City, you know, the playoffs, we know. Sure. Right? I mean, they've – but you're asking me to be realistic, and you're asking me to say, is there a team that I don't think they can beat? Kansas City is the one that pops at me of, okay, they're probably not going to. And yet the Colts beat them in Kansas I know. City. I know. And the Lions, who, unless they are way better than I think they are, I think they're they, – they were right on the verge of beating Kansas City. So it's – there's just not much that separates teams. So, so there's a lot. If you can get things going right and just string together some wins. It happened at the end of last year, albeit against bad teams. Right. Right. But the Titans showed that they can string together some wins when they play their game. They have the perfect opportunity to do that in the next three weeks. At Denver, which we, we both agree, the Titans are better than the Broncos. Got to yes. prove it, but yes. Yes. Got to prove it. Got to get it done. But the Chargers right now... I'd say the Titans are, are better than them. Even though their history has been horrible against the Chargers. But I it's still, here. But it's, it's here. Well, and, and it's been bad here. They, yeah. had some bad, it doesn't seem to matter where they play them, whether it's London, L.A., San Diego, or Nashville. It hasn't gone well against the Chargers. But that really doesn't mean much when they come in here. And then Tampa Bay. I, I think the Titans probably have a better roster now. You can make the argument Jameis Winston's a tick better than Mariota. But come on. He you hasn't gotta, really. you got to beat the Bucks. Yeah. got to beat them. So the next three weeks are crucial for this team to get back to where they want to go. they got to take care of business the next three weeks. And then at Carolina, we'll see what they look like. You know, they're finally going to be got back. something going. they got a little yeah. something going there. But once you get film on, on Allen, you know, what is that, that going to look like? And then Kansas City in week 10. Here's Willie Donick. I'm Chase McCabe. It's Darren Donick and Chase live at Pete and Terry's Tavern. Uh, at Bridgestone Arena. This Friday, Jared and the GM will be broadcasting live at the 40th annual Nashville Oktoberfest, a Nashville tradition since 1980. It's not just a beer festival. Oktoberfest has something for everyone. Delicious German foods from dozens of restaurants and vendors, world-class beer from local breweries, tons of events, arts and crafts, live German music, 
the Deshaun Derby, an enormous parade downtown, plus so much more. For more information or to purchase tickets, visit the Nashville Oktoberfest.com. We'll have more. We'll uh, talk some baseball. You have not had a chance to weigh in on the misery that was my game with the Atlanta Braves last night. And, and the unbelievable uh, reaction in Los Angeles after what happened last night to, yes. to the Dodgers. Plus, we got a big game five tonight uh, with the Astros, who a lot of people think are the best in baseball. They're on, they're they're on one the run away from getting beat. Yeah, They're, they're on the ropes. Out of there. So we'll do all that next. But first, you have a word about Lee Company. All right, let me tell you about Lee Company. We're here at Bridgestone Arena. And if you've listened to our coverage on Nashville's best sports talk, when we get the Predators coverage going with Darren at 6 o'clock after he ices his knee, you'll hear that Lee Company is a big, big part of our coverage. They're a proud sponsor of the Nashville Predators. If you come to Bridgetown Arena, if you're coming to the game tonight against the Capitals, you'll see the Lee Company display all over the place. And I'll ask the question again. Have you had your heating unit checked? Because in the next few days, you might have to kick on the heat. Even if it's just at night, temperature might get down to the 40s. Is it ready to go? Have you checked in the last few months? If you haven't, it's a smart move to have them come out and check it. So get on board with Lee Company, and then when they're there, ask them about their home maintenance plan and have these checks become routine every year. You pay a small monthly fee, and you get those check uh, those checkups every year, and then you get discounts if and when repairs need to be made. Here's the number to call, 567-1000 for Lee Company. That's 567-1000, or go online and make an appointment there at LeeCompany.com. That's LeeCompany.com. Long is up, lefty to lefty, first pitch. This is hit to the left center field gap. This is going to run all the way to the wall. One run scores, a second run scores, double for Wong, nine, nothing, St. Louis. <sighs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> well done, Max. <laughs> Back here, Darren Donican Chase. You heard it on 94.9 Game 2. Chris Merman on the call. A, just, I don't, I I can't say what I want to say on radio, but a terrible, uh, terrible first inning for my beloved Atlanta Braves. I know there are some other people that we know, Willie, that are hurting today. Oh, yeah. Because I texted them last night. There's there's many. There are many <laughs> in this area. Some, just, some pop out at you more than others. The Braves have a huge following, and, and the Cardinals have quite a bit of following here, too. So they were every bit as excited as you were disappointed as that first inning was unfolding. It's the nightmare, right? You just that's baseball. You there's no clock. You have to get the outs. Right. And it just started snowballing. And that's something I have actually seen that one time before and been in your shoes and it involves a guy that we both have a lot of admiration for, Tom Glavin. Yeah. The Mets in 2007, the year before 2006 they had lost in game 7 to the Cardinals right. in the uh, in the LCS. They came back in 2007 had a really good year, and had a seven-game lead with 17 games to go. Lost the whole thing, but still had a chance to win on the last day of the season to get into the playoffs, at least a, at least a yeah. one-game playoff or the wild card, depending on how other things went. They had Tom Glavin on the mound against the Marlins, a bad Marlins team. Right. And he had that, I think I remember he had that first inning where I, I don't know how many, I don't think it was ten, but it was at least eight. And all and it, it, Shea Stadium was rocking. I mean, they had everybody going. We got Glavin on the mound. He's our man. And then, oof. Yeah. But 
It go, but you know another thing I thought about yesterday as I was watching that inning. Our interview yesterday with Chris Domino, he talked about in big games like this, there are there's a there should be a category called plays that have to be made. And this one does go down in the in the error column, but when you think about how grand it was, it wasn't just any error. The Braves are still only down one to nothing. Yeah, Marcelo Zuna hits an 0-2 pitch to go up one nothing, and it's kind of a downer. It's like, oh man, how do you give this guy an 0-2 pitch? But you can come back from that. But That's, you're still okay. You're good. It's, it's you know one it's run. One run. You're all right. Yadi Molina, who is a great player, but also maybe the best candidate to hit into a double play. I hate him. <laughs> hits a perfect double play ball under the circumstances because yeah. he hits it hard, and he hits it right to the defender. It's an easy double play. And you're out of the inning. It's one nothing. Let's go play. And Freddie Freeman, of all people, boots it. Now, it, uh-huh. was it easy? No, because it was ripped. The ball was hit hard. So, having been a first baseman, I know that it's not. You know that's that's not a piece of cake. But it's a play that Freddie Freeman, who's a great player, makes nine times out of ten. Easy. He easy. Had, he did not have a good series. No. So and you know there there's reports he could have been dealing with something. You know, Chris right. told he, us yesterday he, he, he thought but that I, he was. You know, you know too, because it can happen to anybody, right? He's going to be stinging because he is a great stand-up guy, mm-hmm. and he may not have been playing 100. percent You'll never hear him use that as an excuse. But you're also sitting there saying, I'm sure as you watch the game, well, fine, he makes that play. But what about the other ten guys? You know, get the next guy out, get the next guy, right. out. and then they they couldn't stop the bleeding. That happened to me as well. I, I pitched the game for Vanderbilt way back in the in the day against South Carolina, a really good team, at the the grounds that is now called Hawkins Field. At back then it was called McGugan Field. Get yep. this. I had I had the same thing happen to me. I pitched terrible, right? Mike Boltonevich <laughs> is not going to sit there and blame his whole summer. You know the fact that he's done it, for the it, winter on Freddie Freeman. He knows he's got to be do better because yeah, because he, he he well, but it wasn't. I thought that Fultonevich pitched better than Freed did. Yeah, Freed coming in and walking the pitcher was yeah, just that, awful. That was bad. But here's what happened to me. I had the same thing happen. Our team could have turned a double play, and we threw the relay throw into the, you know, into the dugout, and then South Carolina got a couple more hits after that, and I was out, out, out of there. You know, we go on to lose twenty-one to one. Twenty-one to one, but. For the pitcher, your mentality is not, oh, hey, if they had just turned that double play, right. I'd have been fine because it's a team I had a lot to do with. I just didn't have good stuff. I got crushed, right? So everybody shares in it, but you know both of those guys, Fulton Evich, Freddie Freeman, and Max Freed are all sitting there going, I killed us. I, I yeah. killed our season because that's just how you think when you're a competitor like that. You know what the Freddie Freeman situation reminded me of? The first thing I thought of when he made that play and then just looking at the series as a whole was Game 7 against the Sharks, which turned out to be Shea Weber's last game with the Preds. Yes, just and a, just, a it nightmare, was, snowball, same kind of thing. And Shea Weber played like it's the worst game I've ever seen him play, yeah. which you, you just you didn't see that a lot, but it was it was just probably the worst game of his career. And that's how I – and I know that stuck with Shea because that's the kind of competitor that he is. And I'm sure this is going to stick with Freddie Freeman because – you know, you got a long summer or a long winter now to think about things, and I think it's a talented team. I said to Darren earlier, you know, Brian McCann announced his retirement after the game that 
that was and everybody kind of figured that this was going to be a one and done kind of thing he wanted to come home and and then call it a career he has a world series ring that he won with houston so a, a very very nice career for brian mccann but you hate and because he had his struggles too right you hate seeing them go out like that i hope freddie freeman can bounce back which i think he will you know, and be the leader of this team. But they got some big questions to answer now. Do they bring Josh Donaldson back? I would like to see them do that, but how much is that going to cost? And is, what do you do with Austin Riley? Well, I don't think you bring Nick Marcakis back. And so Austin Riley could be in the outfield another year. He did okay. Yep. It was a, wasn't a natural position for him. They have Christian Pache uh, in the ranks that is, is one of the top prospects for the team and top outfielder. So that's something you have to look at. Ender Enciarte, you think he's going to be back. There is going to be a spot for him uh, if all that plays There's out. There's still so, a lot to like about their roster Yeah, overall. It's just going to come down to And that, listen, down the road, out west, the Nationals have been through that, right? Mm-hmm. Year after year of playoff failure, and then boom, they have the breakthrough. So they got to get Braves, a catcher. The Braves, I think, the first thing, it says a lot that you're good enough to, to get back. Yeah. Right? And I think the Braves are positioned to be – to get back there several times, then it's sort of like hockey. You got to be, you got to get it done in the spotlight. Now, how about what happened in L.A. Oh. last night? Can you believe that? I it was that. a great game. If you were not a Dodger fan, right? If you're yeah. a Nationals fan, it was euphoria because you've seen so many failures. But the, the the shock of seeing Clayton Kershaw give up the lead on two pitches, and your manager getting second guess like he was. It's, it's going to be one that they're talking about for a long, long time. And I, for one, did not have a problem with Kershaw coming back out there. He looked great no. blowing away that hitter to get Bueller out of the jam. By the way, Bueller, another outstanding big game performance. That's who Fantastic. I feel bad for, that they yeah. couldn't bring it home for him. But having going down with Kershaw, you know, can you really blame him? And I know people wrote all the other options they had and on paper yeah. better options. Okay, I I see that, but it's Clayton Kershaw, okay? Right. It's one of the There's best only so much you can second-guess for that. But not putting Kenley Jansen in is inexcusable in, yeah. in, the, in the 11th inning. Or I, I should say is it, it was the 10th inning, right? 10th, yeah. Joe Kelly throws the, the scoreless ninth. He looks great, and I get that, but he had not thrown more than an inning since August 24th. And you have Kenley Jansen, and it's not like you're on the road where – Unlike Buck Showalter, who got killed a couple years ago for never putting in Zach Britton. But right. He was the road team, so the mentality is we need to take the lead, and we're going to have to get the save whenever we take the lead. So I save him for when we get ahead, which a lot of people disagree with. Here, that situation can never come up. You're the home team. So you got to get him in there. You, what are you saving him for? Especially after Adam Eaton walks in your face and Rendon and Soto? I know. I got it. If I'm going down, I'm going down with Jansen and not Joe uh, Joe Kelly. I agree. It, that it was, was unbelievable. And I, I don't think he's going to live to tell about. I, I think he's going to be managing somebody else next year. Dave Roberts. Really? I think so. Do you because re- he was well, second guessed a lot last year during the World Series for this. I we'll see. That's what I was going to ask. He's you. a do very you think- respected guy, Dave Roberts. Dave, do, do you, so I was going to ask you about the managers. Do you think Snitker? I don't. I don't think you move on from him. No, I think he's back. I, I, I like Snicker. What are he's you coming do? off a manager. What did of the he year? do? Wrong? 
No, he, I, mean, he I thought I think I think they played well for him. I, yeah. I think he's. Robot. They like him a lot. I think he's, he's a smart baseball guy. He's been in the organization for. Four he had years. to deal with. He had to deal with the Acuna. Not. Yeah. I, I I like how he came across in this series. But I, think, I don't second guess anything he did. But you think the the Dodgers are going to have a a different skipper, huh? It's just my feeling. Well, you know, it's uh, like Grady Little after the the Pedro Martinez yeah. thing. He just was not going to make it through that. And I I just think the Dodger fans. They they have a great team. They'll they'll be back next year. Sure, they'll be back, but maybe just somebody else pushing the buttons is what they need. The Phillies uh, will have a different. manager. They will have a different manager. Uh, Gabe Kepler fired this morning, so there's your uh, there's your baseball, and then of course the Astros, um, oh, and yeah. the Rays coming up tonight. And I talked to a friend of mine who works for the Predators, who's from Houston, big Astros fan. He goes, I wasn't really, I wasn't nervous. I feel good about Gary Cole. Then when I saw the Dodgers lose <laughs> last night, I was like, I, I don't know. Anything can happen. ESPN 94.9 Game 2 is the official English radio home of the Nashville Soccer Club. Listen in Saturday night as Nashville SC takes on North Carolina FC at First Tennessee Park. I believe Max Hers will be on the call for that game. And it will Pre-game. also be at Nissan Stadium. No, oh, it's time. a big house, baby. Okay. Oh, yeah. We're going big. The, the copy is wrong. Uh, pre-game begins at 6.30 with kickoff at 7, only on ESPN. 94.9 Game 2, powered by your Middle Tennessee Toyota dealers. We'll come back, set you up for tonight's game. Darren Donick and Chase, ESPN, one or two, five, the game. Celebrate the grand opening of the brand-new state-of-the-art Ford Ice Center facility in Bellevue this Saturday at 2 p.m. There will be giveaways, free food, a free public skate, and kids' activities, plus Nash, And the Preds Energy Team will be there. That's the grand opening celebration of the new Ford Ice Center in Bellevue at 7638B Highway 70 South this Saturday at 2 p.m. Welcome back. Darren Donick and Chase here on ESPN 102.5 The Game. Chase McCabe, Willie Donick. Jared and the GM coming up in just a few minutes. Preds and Capitals tonight, Willie. And it looks like uh, they are going to tinker with the lineup just a little bit. It appears Daniel Carr will be in. Yes, that's one of the tweaks. Daniel Carr will be in. This is the first game of the four that they've made any changes uh, on the forward units. And not only will they, there be different personnel with Carr going in, Rocco Grimaldi did not skate this morning. I think it appears to be dealing with something physically yep. uh, because Grimaldi was playing well. But also, you know, I think there's a mentality or something to be said for using your roster. Sure. You know, Daniel Carr has earned a spot. You want to keep him in there. It's like, you know... It's not quite the same as baseball where you have 162 games and you absolutely have to keep your bench going. But, you know, you don't want guys sitting around too, too much. Well, but, and he was but, somebody you signed to a, yeah. you know, to a contract, the, the AHL MVP. So, Grimaldi, you got. so Grimaldi's ailment is going to open the door for him. But the more significant move, I think, is switching Craig Smith to Kyle Turris' line with Daniel Carr. So Kyle Turris will have two different wingers, although Kyle has skated a lot with Craig Smith over the years. Yeah. And Callie Yarncroke goes up to play with Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson. Now, when you take a little a little closer, because at one, you know, from one position you're probably saying, why, why would you do that? But Craig Smith, his entire life pretty much has been a right wing. Right. He was trying to play the left wing to play with Johansson and Arvidsson. He's done fine. I think there's still, though, and you, and you listen to Peter Laviolette, he, he keeps saying this. We still want to look at some different things. We want to see what is the best way to deploy this group. During the preseason, you saw Kyle Turris play on that left wing a lot with Johansson and Arvidsson. 
That could happen again at some point. But he said Craig Smith is still transitioning in learning how to play the left wing. It is a different position. It sounds easy. Some guys do it better than others. Right. Jan Kroak is a guy that does it very easily. He can play either side and and has done it throughout his career. So they're looking to get a spark of offense from Jan Kroak, who has not really played and great I think offensively going back to last year where he right. dropped the 10 goals. And then he has, you know, he's had some chances that he hasn't buried so far this year, and they're hoping maybe this brings out the best in him. I think this move is more about Jan Kroak and less about Craig Smith. I know Craig Smith has been going through the transition of moving from one wing to the other, but Callie Jan Kroak, they're, they're just trying to get a spark under him and see, you know, see if they can get that offense back that he's had in the past, and what better way to do it than put him up with Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson. So I, I, I was of the belief that if you were going to make this move for Craig Smith and you were going to have him on that line – that you need to just let it simmer for a while. You don't need to move things around. But if you're not getting much out of uh, Kyle Yarncroak, then I think it's a good way to spark him. And, and Kyle Turris has been playing some of the best hockey I've seen him play in a long time. And so having him with somebody he's familiar with and Craig Smith on his natural side, I think is only going to help him. And then seeing what Daniel Carr can be. Yeah, and I think what has been effective is you have the other team saying, okay, who have we got to stop? Who's their top line? All right, here's Johansson's line. We've got to make sure we're on them. Okay, well, what about Duchesne's line? They've been the hottest line by far, Duchesne and Forsberg. Well, we've got to put good players out there. We've got to make sure yeah. we're aware. So what happens when Kyle Turris comes out there? They, they have better matchups, right, during, during the course of the game. They may be out there for less time, but they also might be out there against the lesser defensive players. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and they, they've taken full advantage of that, so... Well, it goes back to. We'll they, see if they can continue to do that. Tur- Turris had the huge goal the other night. I, I think he he has benefited so far. His he's looked pretty good in, in the ice time he's had. Yeah, I agree, and it, it was good to see him uh, get that that goal the other night. His confidence. I mean, the way you, if you talk to him in the locker room, I, I've had a chance to talk to him a couple times. He, his confidence is back. Uh, I chatted with Matt Duchesne that you will hear tonight during the pregame show. Daniel Carr talked to uh, Jeremy K. Gover, so you hear that as well. But Matt Duchesne, that was really my first time one-on-one getting to talk to him. I, I love how he carries himself and how uh, you see the confidence just oozing off of him right now. So we'll see what happens. A tough test tonight. Tough Alex test. Ovechkin, only one goal so far. That oh, scares me a little bit. Big time. But we'll see how it all shakes out. Capitals have played four games so far. They're 2-0-2. All four have been decided by one goal. Three of them have gone to overtime. So the Capitals, I think, still a heavyweight. They're a little bigger and stronger. You know, they got your Tom Wilsons in there. I think it's a little different look than what the Predators have seen so far. We'll see how they adjust. You will have the TV call tonight on Fox Sports Tennessee. Our coverage gets underway here at 6 o'clock on ESPN 102.5 The Game with Darren McFarland. For Darren McFarland, Willie Donick, I am Chase McKay. Max Hurst back in the studio. Stick around. Jared and the GM. That is next on ESPN 102.5 The Game. One last call for alcohol, so finish your whiskey or beer.